0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This one's going to be on benign and malignant duodenal masses, uh, really focusing on optimizing CT protocol for lesion detection and discrimination between the various lesions. And this is based on an exhibit from RSNA 2013 by uh, lead author, Selina Sai, in our department. So let's talk about um, how we look at the duodenum. In my experience, it's one of the most common areas where there are false positive and false negative studies. In order to really be able to evaluate duodenum, you really need to have a good distension. That is the key. Good distension and then good bolus of IV contrast material. And whether you're using water or volumen, I think neutral agents are far better than positive contrast in essentially all cases. The one time I think that positive contrast works well, if you were looking for a perforation or potentially a fistula, then positive contrast with oral omnipake works really well. If not, neutral contrast is really ideal, particularly for picking up small lesions as well as vascular processes. Usually we use uh, Omnipaque injected about four to five cc's a second, Uh, 100 to 120 cc's, depending on patient size is what we do. Typically, dedicated studies of dual phase imaging, roughly 30 second delay for arterial, and about 60 to 70 seconds for venous work very nicely. It's also important for the scan protocol. Since we're gonna do reconstructions, we use thin collimation, 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 millimeters indeed works very nicely. Just to remind you about some of the details of the duodenum, it has no mesentery, usually up to 30 centimeters long. We talk about four portions, the bulb, which is intraperitoneal the descending portion, or the second portion of the duodenum, which is retroperitoneal, the horizontal, a third portion, which crosses the aorta and spine, and the fourth portion, which is the ascending part beyond the third part, which ends at the level of the ligament of trites. And so you can see that depending on what part of the duodenum you're talking about, you're either talking about an intraperitoneal structure, and for most part, it's a retroperitoneal structure. You can see very nicely on these images the normal thin folds of the duodenum. In terms of vascular supply on the arterial side, the posterior superior and anterior superior pancreaticoduodenal arteries, which arise from the GDA, supplies the proximal duodenum. These vessels do anastomose with the posterior inferior and anterior inferior pancreaticoduodenal arteries, which arise from the SMA and supply the distal duodenum. Those are important vessels and processes like pancreatic cancer, for example. The venous supply is the posterior superior and anterior superior pancreaticoduodenal veins, which drain into the distal superior mesenteric vein, or the proximal portal vein. The posterior inferior and anterior inferior pancreatic duodenal veins drain into the SMV. So you can see this some parallel between the arterial and venous drainage. There are nerves innervating duodenum from the celiac and superior mesenteric ganglia. If I look at pathology that involves the duodenum, we could break things up into two, benign and malignant lesions, benign being polyps, brunoglands, glands, hematomas, lipomas, uh, duplication cysts, malignant, think about the tumors we always speak about in small bowel, adenocarcinoma, carcinoid, GIST, lymphoma, and metastasis. So, let's start with duodenal polyps. It occurs in about 1% of upper GI series with adenomas being the most common. They can be single or multiple. They can be tubular or tubulovillous, or even solitary villus. You can see hamartomas, which are imputes Jaeger syndrome, and Brunner's gland hyper- hyperplasia, uh, which can give you nodule-like appearance. Now, in patients with tubovillus adenoma, there often can be associated dysplasia. Here's a nice example of a patient where you can see this polypoid mass, which shows some enhancement in the duodenum. And this is most classic for a tubulovillous adenoma. The malignancy is path-determined, but this lesion is surely going to be resected. There's no specific CT characteristics uh, to define polyps from some of the other lesions in select cases, and invariably biopsy and removal will typically be necessary. When you speak about villous adenomas, most commonly in the second portion of the duodenum, uh, when they're located by the ampullary or periampullary region, then there's a high rate of malignant transformation up to 50%. Most villus adenomas occur sporadically but can be associated with uh, Gardner syndrome or family uh, polyposis, familial polyposis, that is, and there's no gender predilection. When you look at villus adenomas in terms of CT, and here's one such example, the appearance may be nonspecific. Masses can be polypoid, small, or can be larger. They can have a cauliflower-like appearance. CT is very good at looking at the extraluminal extent of disease when present, including nodes and potential liver disease. Enhancement is variable, but I typically do see some vascular enhancement, particularly when you're giving a good bolus of contrast material. Here's a patient with a history of familial polyposis and numerous tubular adenomas. And again, in this case, you can see they can be very subtle indeed. We speak about something called Brunner's gland hamartomas. That's pretty rare. It's located in the duanal bulb where the highest concentration of Brunner's glands are located. Um, Typically, the term hyperplasia relates to lesions under 5 millimeters. And hamartomas are when they're over 5 millimeters. It's pretty rare. I've seen a couple cases. Here's just a wonderful example. It looks like a gist tumor or some other large mass in the duodenum or peripancreatic region. And its most common location is in the posterior wall of the duodenum near the junction of the first and second portions of the duodenum. Typically, it's pedunculated. And from a CT perspective, homogeneous or heterogeneous, but they do enhance following IV contrast. And this is just one of my most impressive examples. We can see other tumors like lipomas and like lipomas everywhere, they fatty attenuation around minus 100 Hounsfield units, usually well-defined, can be elongated, can be on a stalk, and can also lead to intersusceptions. You can see in this case, the lesion goes from about the second to third portion of duodenum. Um, There also is a rare lesion called the gangliocytic paraganglioma, which is a mouthful. These are almost always in the second portion of the duodenum near the ampulla and most commonly associated with neurofibromatosis. If someone has neurofibromatosis, this is the diagnosis you need to make. It's usually a homogeneous soft tissue mass. Typically, no biliary obstruction, but it can occur with biliary obstruction. The mass can be somewhat extrinsic and can have a dumbbell-type appearance. So it's something that's rare, and usually I think about it in the situation of jaundice and neurofibromatosis. Duplication cysts can occur anywhere in the GI tract. They're fairly uncommon. Uh, 5% of GI tumors or 5% of GI duplication cysts are located in the duodenum. Duodenal duplication cysts are usually round and often do not communicate with the bowel lumen. So it's a very important diagnosis. They can look like diverticulum, they can look like pericolonic abscesses, so you need to want to be very, very careful. And here's just a nice example. This patient presented with a palpable abdominal mass. This is one of the larger duplications I've seen. You can see sometimes communication with the lumen. You can't see nodularity. And when you see nodularity, you worry about the possibility of tumor. This case um, was just a, a simple duplication cyst. Okay, just a very nice example. Now, we've had talks on malignancies of the small bowel, and so I'll just make a few points. Adenocarcinoma is most common in the duodenum, and carcinoid is least common. 50% of 50 of small bowel adenocarcinomas occur in the duodenum, and they tend to present an advanced stage. Remember, we always speak about the fact that from presentation to diagnosis, it's six to 18 months with small bowel tumors, so it's often a difficult diagnosis. And again, technique is everything. Even small lesions, you can see them as long as you have good bowel distension and good bolus of IV contrast material. And you also need to have 3D imaging. You can see when you look at this case, there's a polypoid mass, but look how easy it is to see on coronal and 3D maps, whether it's the MPR or the coronal volume rendering. Often the masses, as in this case, are eccentric, sometimes it's more of a polypoid-type performance. We do see some enhancement, it's not markedly hypervascular, but there is enhancement, which is often a helpful sign of being able to see the lesion. And when you look at the study, you look very carefully to make sure the patient doesn't have metastasis, which are common to local nodes or to the patient's liver. With adenocarcinoma, as in this case, the tumors can sometimes be bulky, at times, they can be confused with a pancreatic mass. Uh, but here you can see the epicenter is duodenum, and the coronals are oh so helpful in allowing you to make that diagnosis. The second tumor I'll speak about is carcinoids, which are more common in the distal bowel in the ileum, And when they do occur in the duodenum, which is a rare occurrence, but they're in the first and second portion of the duodenum most commonly. They're usually slow-growing, but they can have metastasis to nodes or to liver. Duonyl carcinoids are unique that they contain a low level of serotonin, so rarely produce a carcinoid-type syndrome. 62% of duonyl carcinoids are gastrinomas, and a third of these are functioning tumors manifested as ZE syndrome. 20% of duodenal carcinoids have, are somatostatin-producing, associated with neurofibromatosis. So you've got to be thinking about those possibilities. And here's a, a, an example of a patient with MEN1. And what you can see here, multiple gastrinomas in the duodenum. They're enhancing, they're not obstructing, they're not very large. Most duodenal carcinoids are sporadic, but MEN1 occurs in about 10% of the cases, so, it's an important thing to think about. Patients with MEN type 1 can have multiple tiny duodenal gastrin producing carcinoid tumors. A very important point. Carcinoid tumors, again, appearance, intraluminal mass. And the key thing often is the marked enhancement. Here's two images, arterial and venous, arterials on top. Look at the arrow, look at that polypoid lesion, a bit over a centimeter, but look how bright it is and you can see it washing out. Now, in this case, you can see it in both phases. At times with peristalsis, it'll look different from arterial to venous and you have to be very careful not to miss one of these small tumors. And they can be multicentric, here's a nice example of multiple small lesions in the patient's duodenum. 30% of carcinoid tumors are in fact multicentric. What about this? The, uh, another example here? very nice case. There's evidence of hypervascular carcinoid tumor in the ampulla, extending the third portion of the duodenum. There's also adenopathy present. There are also liver metastasis. So again, defining the etiology, the cause, the extent, and then helping with management are all important things that we can do from these images. But again, unless you recognize the lesion, you can't do much about it. GIST tumors are one of the things that also occurs in duodenum. We talk about tyrosine kinase growth factor receptors, which help differentiate GIST from other type tumors, including leiomyomas and neurogenic tumors. Uh, They tend to grow exophytically, just like in the stomach and other sites in the GI tract, and they rarely cause jaundice. When you're looking at GIST tumors, they can be variable in size from one to two centimeters to 15 centimeters. The largest cysts I've seen are typically in the stomach. When they're very large they often have central necrosis from cystic degeneration. Often the uh, liver metastasis can be cystic. When these tumors are very large they can ulcerate, they can perforate, they can fistulize, and uh, they can contain um, gas-filled cavities from necrosis. And again the, uh, the whole issue Of thinking about gist tumors and being able to recognize them because of the importance of being able to treat patients with Glevac, You can see in this case of that gist tumor once it's uh, not every time is the lesion very vascular and really it's very critical to be able to see those lesions uh, and the vascularity. Once um, these tumors are treated they're often very cystic that's a response to the patient's kinase inhibitors. But again, very, very important. And again, about half of duodenal gist tumors will metastasize. What else? We can talk about lymphoma. We talk about lymphoma being more common in the distal bowel, but can be seen in the proximal small bowel. Um, with lymphoma, often there are multiple sites of involvement, from spleen to liver to nodes to small bowel to stomach, but not always. Um, small bowel involvement by lymphoma is usually solitary. Okay, so that's another thing that's very important. Um, in order to diagnose something as small bowel lymphoma, primary, there can be no palpable supraclavicular nodes, normal chest x-ray without any adenopathy, primary tumor mass centered in the small bowel with appropriate draining lymph node involvement, and no evidence of hepatic or splenic lesions and a normal white count. Here's an example of lymphoma big bulky nodes. Now, here the problem is, could this be just lymphoma encasing the duodenum rather than primary new duodenum? You see compression of the SMA as well. It can be somewhat tricky. Um, with lymphoma, you have anywhere from multiple nodules to discrete polypoid nodules, the thick wall infiltrating lesions, and this is one of those examples. And then sometimes you see a large exophytic mass, more suggestive sometimes of a GIST tumor. One of the important things with lymphoma, it's typically hypodense. Um, and you can see that very nicely here. Another example, patients can have metastasis. Here's a large mass which at first glance almost looks like periduonal, but this is a duodenum. This, um, this mass in the fourth portion of the duodenum. We talk about metastasis, we talk about ovarian cancer, but that gives implants, peritoneal implants. We talk about colon cancer, that's mucinous tumors. Uh, so, distribution becomes very important. We also speak about uh, pancreatic cancer. We speak about the differential between pancreatic cancer, primary versus metastasis, in terms of vessels and in terms of lack of enhancement, typically. Uh, most of the time, when we talk about duodenal uh, malignancy. It's the pancreatic cancer growing into the duodenum, but what about this primary um, Duodenal type process. So again, very important to recognize that metastases are in that differential, and we are seeing METs more frequently, whether it's abdominal pain, GI bleeding, or even intersusception. So we've looked at a number of different benign and malignant uh, duodenal tumors. We've discussed them, we've illustrated them, we've made some points that hopefully you will find helpful. And if you need more information, here's a series of uh, references that you might find helpful. And with that, I'm going to thank you for your attention.